Hi, welcome to the Haiku Podcast, a weekly show where I intend to give some depth to some ideas from a variety of different disciplines, using either film or literature as a heuristic device in which to flesh out these ideas in more detail. First, I want to reflect on my last episode. Firstly, apologies for the quality of the audio. I admit that the audio wasn't great, and hopefully this show will sound a lot better after it's recorded. I hope it wasn't too distracting and like I said, I'm learning. Having had zero experience in recording audio, this is going to be a continual learning curve. Secondly, I want to address the overall direction of the last episode, in which it evolved into. I felt upon reflecting that it went a bit too esoteric and self-helpy towards the end. I don't think this is the general direction the podcast will be heading towards. Though I think as a first episode, I was happy with the themes and breadth of the ideas I was able to cover. And I hope you enjoyed it. Anyway, the general direction I want this podcast to focus on going forward in terms of what I would have liked to achieve is that I want this podcast to be kind of tool to which I can openly muse and talk about different cultural phenomena. It could be books or animation, film, music, or even economically driven ideas. I'll use these cultural products as a kind of springboard in which I can explore and discuss some ideas, school of thought, and implications of such in more detail. Anyway, with that out of the way, let's start the episode. In today's episode, I'll be discussing the idea of accelerationism. This episode will be a two-parter, as there's a lot of ground to cover, and I don't want it to be an overwhelming shitshow of ideas and names. But I'll start off by looking at the book Neuromancer by William Gibson, Ghost in the Shell, which was originally a manga written by Masamuni Shiro, and then later popularized the 1995 movie directed by Mamoru Oshii, as well as a brief mention of some themes seen in the Blade Runner, Don't worry, in today's episode I won't reveal any spoilers for any of you that haven't read the text. I won't really delve into the plot specifically, more just an interpretation of the themes of the text. Anyway, with Neuromancer, Ghost in the Shell and Blade Runner, you can probably guess I I will be exploring the cybernetic and cyberpunk culture using accelerationism as a framework. Today's episode will primarily look at the origins of accelerationism before concentrating on the work of Nick Land. Next week's show will look at more thinkers and ideas of accelerationism. As always, I'll do my best to cite all sources, whether they be vague blog posts, newspaper articles, YouTube videos, etc. in the show notes, which can be found on the blog page of my website. So without further ado, let's begin the episode. So to begin let me give an extremely brief introduction of the movies and novels in question. I'm sure many of you are familiar with them, but just a quick outline for any people that aren't. Neuromancer is a novel by acclaimed sci-fi writer William Gibson. The novel is part of his Sprawl trilogy. It catapulted William Gibson to acclaim, and the novel was revolutionary in that it was the first conceivable vision of the modern-day internet, which Gibson referred to as the cyberspace. This cyberspace is what we all now occupy. Set in Tokyo, the novel focuses on an anti-hero, and the opening lines of the text remain one of my all-time favourites. It begins, The sky above the port was the colour of television, tuned to a dead channel. Strong imagery, it establishes a clear and concise tone that sets up the rest of the text. Dystopic, bleak, technocratic and mechanical. In summary, the novel is about Case, an anti-hero figure. He is a computer hacker 
back before the term was really popularized. After being banned from the cyberspace, he is tasked with a final job that allows him re-entry into the cyberspace matrix. What's incredible about this text is that the words he uses, hacker, cyberspace, the matrix, weren't words popularized at the time. He was writing this in 1984, when these words were only known on the fringes of computer and cybernetic culture. He was revolutionary in presenting these words to a mainstream audience and was one of the forefathers in conceiving the cyberpunk trope. Like the opening of Neuromancer, Blade Runner, directed by Ridley Scott and based upon the novel Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, written by a veteran cypher author, Philip K. Dick, opens with a similar eerie, dystopic, dreary environment. Smog, acid rain and neon-clad corporate signs establish a world where machinery has taken over and humanity lives in the bleak cesspool of environmental degradation, crime and moral decay. The film follows Rick Deckard as he is tasked with killing replicants. Robots look identical to humans around a futuristic Los Angeles. And finally, to conclude my brief and extremely rudimentary summaries, is Ghost in the Shell. Like I said, it was originally conceived of as a manga, released in Japan in 1989. The film, which was released in 1995, is set in Japan in the year 2029. It follows a cyborg detective called Motoko Kusanji as she is tasked with hunting down a hacker known as the Puppet Master. It's a visually beautiful film and is an excellent gateway to anime for anyone who, like me, felt their previous encounters with anime weren't so good. The film's narrative and philosophical themes are as complex as any other movie and really helped the anime and manga canon to be popularized in the West. Now, it's worth noting here that visually both the Blade Runner movie and Neuromancer were inspired by a French comic which in English translates as heavy metal, particularly the story The Long Tomorrow, which many argued pioneered the cyberpunk trope. They both borrow heavily from the aesthetics in the comic book, which are desolate, lawless, mechanical and neon clad, morally corrupt and depicting worlds where corporations with unbounded freedoms and characters with morally grey compasses. The texts and films I am discussing deal with artificial intelligence, robotics and the mind-machine phenomena. However, the angle I would like to explore in detail is the possible context in which the societal circumstances depicted in these art forms arose from. That is, what system could be a conceivable one that would attempt to explain the circumstantial environment in which Blade Runner, Neuromancer, Ghost in the Shell arose from? What system of politics, sociology and economics could account for the aesthetics behind The Long Tomorrow? What idea could spearhead the cyberpunk aesthetic into reality? Well, I would argue that that theory is the idea of accelerationism. So, what is accelerationism? Well, in short, before I pick it apart in detail later, it is a socio-political system, a system of decentralized power structures and hyper-capitalism. That is, corporations rule all for the one goal of progress, no matter at what cost. Human progress above the conservation of our planet, for instance. Progress above human rights welfare. It is anti-regulation and believes an untethered, unbounded free market capitalistic system is the greatest enabler for it to succeed. Interestingly, the accelerationist movement can be split into both left and right-wing tribes as they envision different ends to the project. The left-wing side of the movement believes that technological advances can be used to overcome the oppression of capitalism 
and that we can repurpose technology for socially beneficial and emancipatory ends. Right-wing accelerationism supports the indefinite intensification of capitalism itself, possibly to bring about a technological singularity. It is a movement that is hard to define in its entirety. It has its origins in both Marxist school of thought and Deleuze and Guattari origins. It has no clear end in mind, hence why I have chosen to use a cyberpunk trope as a tool to imagine what an accelerationist society would be like. The figures that really spearheaded this movement are a mix of people, but I think the main figurehead today would be Nick Land, a British philosopher who I will talk about a bit more later. Anyway, to digress briefly, let's again put ourselves back in the dreary opening of Blade Runner or the anti-heroic morals that govern Neuromancer or the cybernetic corporations that control New Tokyo in Ghost in the Shell. This is probably the closest way I can get you to conceive of the world envisioned by accelerationists. Not their ideal world, I believe they envision it more akin to a utopian, brave new world style landscape. But since researching it, it's been pretty hard to find a clear cut and refined definition of the world that accelerationists envision. They are heavily influenced by and influence in a kind of symbiotic relationship, the cybernetic culture of the 90s and noughties. So personally, I think the imagery in these cyberpunk novels and movies, technocratic, corporate, mechanical and neon clad, are the best starting points for now. To try and explain this rather fluid and loosely defined concept, I'll be talking about its origins, its practice, its meteoric rise in the modern era, some key figures in the movement, some controversies surrounding it, challenges and the likes. But firstly, I would like to discuss the origins of accelerationism. Where did this zany idea come from? Well, if we want to go back to the original source of accelerationist thinking, it would have its origins in Karl Marx who in many regards we could call the proto-accelerationist. After all, the core tenets of accelerationist theory come from the ideas espoused by Marx, that techno-industrial societies would progress exponentially. The comparison kind of stops there though. The political ideas that I will unpack later are vastly different, contextually and in how they envision the future. Another contextual necessity before I unpack accelerationist thinking is found in the works of French philosophers Deleuze and Guattari. Now their work is convoluted, wordy and abstract, so I'll try not to spend too much time on their work. I think divulging in their work will end up being a lengthy digression. But for the purpose of contextualizing, I think it is important to give an overview of some of their key ideas and theories. The main ideas concerning the force of capitalism, leading toward a point of deterritorialization. This idea of deterritorialization is defined as the point in which capitalism reaches its limit. But in order for it to maintain its systemic survival, it must undergo a period of re-territorialization, meaning institutions of law and order and governmental bureaucracies do their utmost to preserve the system and accumulate an increasing share of surplus value. Essentially, deterritorialization and re-territorialization are processes of oscillating between stripping away old coding of society and recoding a new society, driven by the forces of capitalism. Now there is a lot more to this idea than my rudimentary explanation, but for now it will suffice. Just know that many thinkers in the nexus of accelerationist thinkers are heavily influenced by the work of Deleuze and Guattari. Now the origins of the term accelerationism can be traced back to a work of sci-fi written in the 1960s, Lord of Light by Robert Zelzini. The book deals with a distant future, an abandoned earth and a Hindu-like prophet named Sam. Zelazini writes Sam as the last of the accelerationists, 
An accelerationist in the text is someone who believes that technology should be at the forefront of the idea of progress. The text also deals with other zany and trippy themes throughout, but one key point for now is this is where the term was seemingly conceptualized. After this text, there has, as far as I can see, only been one but publication that neutrally, without political praxis, outlines the notions behind accelerationism further. That book is titled Hashtag Accelerate, The Accelerationist Reader. The book's introduction elaborates on the concepts of accelerationism that, and I quote, accelerationism is the name of a contemporary political hearsay. The insistence that the only radical political response to capitalism is not to protest, disrupt, critique, or detourn it, but to accelerate and exacerbate its uprooting, alienating, decoding, abstractive tendencies. End quote. It sounds kind of cool when framed like this. It even connotates other cool movements that occurred around the same time. The emergence of accelerationism was in the myriad of countercultural innovations in the 90s, a time of changing trends in technology and music and amid the post-80s capitalist boom. A good explanation of the movement's origins can be found in the Accelerationist Reader, which, I'll quote, Accelerationism tracks the impulse through 90s UK dark side cyberculture and the theory fictions of Nick Land, Sadie Plant, Ian Grant and CCRU across the cultural underground of the 80s, rave, acid house, SF cinema, and back to its sources in delirious post-68 ferments. In texts whose searing nihilistic cuissants would later be disavowed by their authors and the Marxist and academic establishment alike. It makes you sound sexy, obscure, rebellious and countercultural. It sounds exhilarating, transgressive in all the right ways. But I want to dig deeper into this idea, present to you loosely its premise, its key concepts and its limitations and criticisms. The term of accelerationism, as it is used and applied philosophically today, has only been in use since around 2010. That is, whilst the ideas surrounding it and the subcultures that it encompasses, like cybernetics and cyberpunk tropes, have been around for much longer, the disparate and loose definitions of accelerationism were only coined into a coherent school of political and philosophical thought in 2010, Benjamin Noyes. The ideas accelerationism explores have been pondered since the industrial age, when continental futurists, revolutionaries and radicals were rejoicing in the endless possibilities the industrial age will bless humanity with. Think the World Fair in the 1920s, when we imagine the 21st century as flying cars, robots to do our chores and endless time for leisure. It could be argued that these utopians from the early 20th century were accelerationists in the making. What is interesting is that Zelazini's plot device of a character being dubbed an accelerationist in his vague science fiction novel written more than a half a century ago has transformed into a philosophical point of inquiry and has made some strong ground adorning many followers in modern socio-political life. So what is it that accelerationists tend to argue for? Well, like Sam, the protagonist of Zelazine's novel argued for, technology and progress are ultimately entwined one drives the other and vice versa. A standard for which we can corroborate the world's progression by interpreting its technological achievements. Therefore, modern day accelerationists argue that technology, computing and engineering should be intensified in order for us to progress. 
simply the end of progression justifies any means necessary in getting there. According to Andy Beckett, the ideas of accelerationism are at odds with pretty much most political standings on the current left-right spectrum. They seemingly want to force the world to its will and progress humankind onto another and completely progressed state of being. There is some heavy overlapping with futurists and the idea of futurism. Though, where I would say they differ would be that whilst futurists try to make guesses and estimations, sometimes rational, sometimes not, on the course and state of our near future, accelerationists tend to anticipate and outline the necessary philosophical and cognitive frameworks humankind would need to embrace and undergo to, un to attain such futures. How will we exist and coexist with AI? What would a society that is rid of what Graeber termed bullshit jobs look like? What would automation and a world that verges on utopian world building look like? What implications are there for a place where our every need could be served for by technological machinery? What would the ethical, existential and philosophical problems that could arise out of such futures? Or even for now, what are the implications of an ever increasing intrusive technology into our lives? What would a full blown cyber war look like? How does one even begin to com combat the ebb and flow of misinformation, fake news, deep fakes, and an increasingly blurred line between the reality and cyberspace? Whilst contemporary philosophers are beginning to contemplate these notions, accelerationists are focused, I would argue, on getting there first and answering them later. Hence the accelerate in their name. They want the future now. The pondering and questioning of ethics of the future scenarios are, well, futile in the face of almost certain exponential technological singularity. That isn't to say they aren't considering these problems and ideas. They are. But the framework of the thinking is more geared against the ponderings and inaction of philosophers, which is superfluous and obstructive to the political objective of accelerating humankind. This is a fair criticism. Philosophy can have the issue of being stuck in the ground whilst we should be reaching the stars. But careful and well thought out contemplation is necessary for a stable future. That aside, the allure of accelerationism in the modern age can be understood. A school of thought that would, at best, only have a few dozen members subscribed has exploded. The age of hypercapitalism, mass society, global consumerism, and the manic disruption of our political systems and institutions we are witnessing now is surreal. And in surreal times, we often look toward the more occult and far-fetched ideas of how to anticipate our future. The promise of endless accelerated progress is alluring. But how far is too far? through the eyes of accelerationists. To begin the story of accelerationism as we understand today, I think a good place to start, and there are many places to start, would be Sadie Plant and the Cybernetic Culture Research Unit, often abbreviated as the CCRU. Sadie Plant's work was originally focused on the Situationist International, the French art collective active in the 1960s and 70s before moving her attention to cyber technology and being one of the pioneering developers of cyber feminism. Without going into too much detail, cyber feminism is a form of contemporary feminism that looks at the relationship between cyberspace and gender. I will cover this in detail in the future in another podcast, but in short, it's a school of critical theory. While studying at Warwick University in England during the 90s, she, along with her colleague Nick Land, develops a cultural theorist collective called the Cybernetic Culture Research Unit. The aim of the group was to look at the increasing role that cybernetics played out on cultural theory. 
After a short time, Sadie left the group and this is when it came under the direction of Nick Land. Nick Land is pivotal to the story of accelerationism. He is the father of this school of thought. To continue the story of the CCRU after Plant's departure, Land directed the CCRU in a more unorthodox and experimental way, hosting performative events and seminars. He looked at post-structuralism, cybernetics, cyberculture, science fiction, and rave culture. Land was eventually dismissed from the university on allegations that he was selling drugs to students. But this was not the end of Land. In fact, he was just beginning to define himself. It is almost impossible to cover accelerationism without mentioning Nick Land. As I said, he is a pioneer in the movement. He has, since leaving academia, moved on to publishing rather prolifically on the internet. He uses multiple pseudonyms and explores a wide range of controversial topics. Nick Land's work can be split into his older works, which take on a more occultish, fictional representation of his accelerationist ideals, and the newer version of Nick Land. And if you want to check out Nick Land's more recent writings, you should check out his numerous blog posts and articles, most notably in his blog Urban Futures. His writings focus on contemporary issues such as blockchain, decentralized currencies, and transhumanism. He's very much still active. His writings are jarring, controversial, dense, and seemingly without structure. It's also worth noting here that Land is also a fictional short story writer, and this is evident in his writings as he blurs the line of reality and theory quite often. An example of this is his idea that capitalism is an AI extraterrestrial political structure that exists outside of time. His deification of capitalism permeates throughout his work. He sees capitalism as a fundamental force for enabling progress. Anyway, as I was saying, the newer version of Nick Land is more grounded in his theorizing. I think his grounded nature nowadays comes from a more cynical perspective. Whilst young Land was in the midst of the 90s boom of culture, the rave scene, drugs, the endless possibilities that the internet fanboys envisioned was driven by naivety and optimism. To a reality, well, of disillusionment. He even identifies his transformation in an interview he conducted with Vast Abrupt magazine. He states, and I quote, There was an extremely exciting wave that was ridden by the CCRU in the early 90s. You know, the internet basically arrived in those years. There were all these kinds of things going on culturally and technologically and economically that were extremely exciting. And that just carried the accelerationist current and made it extremely, immediately plausible and convincing to people. Outrageous, perhaps, but definitely convincing. It was followed, and I wouldn't want to put specific dates on this, really. But I think there was an epoch of deep disillusionment. I'd call it the Facebook era. And obviously for anyone who's coming in any way out of Deleuze and Guattari, for something called Facebook to be the dominant representative of cyberspace is just almost, you know, a comically horrible thing to happen. I think that accelerationism just went into a massive eclipse. End quote. The reality of a tech utopian dream has been momentarily eclipsed. But this is not the end point of the future envisioned by accelerationists. Nick Land describes his version of accelerationism, and yes, there are more versions which I will come to later, as, and I quote, The basic accelerationist thesis is that modernity is dominated by positive feedback processes, rather than negative feedback processes. And the first wave of cybernetic theory, which consistently normalized negative homeostatic feedback and pathologized positive feedback was therefore self-obsolescent. 
it was something that was not going to be a sustainable stance, given the, as you say, basic accelerating trend of the modern process, most extremely in its technological and economic dimensions. End quote. Now, in no way is it bad, he does posit some interesting points for discussion and some ideas on capitalism and how the disintegration of the human species could be a good thing. Cosmism, I believe he calls it. Cosmism, according to Land, puts forth the idea that humans are simply a minuscule part of evolution. Before we create machinery that harnesses godlike abilities to change the cosmos, presumably for the better, it draws heavily on the ideas of transhumanism and technological singularity was outlined by Ray Kurzweil, though it differs by giving it a political dimension. A side note here, as mentioned earlier, Land was heavily influenced by Guattari and Deleuze's styles of thinking. He also mimics their style of writing. He writes about humankind from a third-person perspective, observing humanity from perspectives such as a rat, a computer, or even a god. The dehumanizing way he perceives humankind is telling. It underpins a lot of accelerationist thinking. Humans are but the cogs of a mechanical process of progress, for the sake of progress. Also, what's interesting about Land's writing, something that permeates throughout his work, is that Nick Land delineates consciousness from intelligence. He sees consciousness as the feelings of the world, superfluous and necessary to the objectives of progress. Intelligence he sees as the operational function. A higher intelligence, or rather, a further progressed intelligence, does not necessarily need consciousness. This robotic vision of higher intelligence screams replicant and cyborg. Cold-hearted killers without remorse or even the capability to feel guilt. The future occupants of our cyberpunk future. I think you can begin to see now why I think accelerationism is necessary when discussing the cyberpunk trope or even dystopic science fiction. The whole conception of the idea in the CCRU has its roots in science fiction and cybernetic cultural theory. I think what is interesting with this idea is that he has took a fictional world or vision, as seen in the cyberpunk trope, and transmuted it into a theorized interpretation of how the world could be from a politically scientific perspective. To continue the topic of Land's blurring of the abstract and fictional with reality, I saw an old clip of Nick Land filmed in about 1994 whilst researching this podcast. I'll link it in my show notes. In the video, he seemingly suggests that the ideal model of an accelerated state would be to reduce the top-down structure of society into one that is more akin to a flat landscape, a web, like the internet. Instead of having a central control system, establish a sprawling, interconnected landscape where power resides with the people and not from a central authority. Nick has strong visions of the future and he backs them up with loosely defined structures on how to get there. So, how does he suppose we get to this end point? Well, capitalism and a lot more of it. Less governmental restraint and more unfettered exponential growth regardless of the cost. This is the reason why land has become quite a darling amongst the anarcho-capitalists and libertarians of the time. But where the extremities in Land's reasonings come into question is the desired endpoint of these beliefs. In fact, Land has become quite the isolated academic. His views have, as I previously said, took infamy amongst far-right identitarian followers, especially his pseudo-scientific views on race. A notable example being what he has termed the capitalist human sorting machine. This idea dictates that different races naturally fare differently in the modern world. 
This idea has aided his infamous reputation and alienation amongst the academic establishments. Many who once worked with him have distanced themselves further from him. Ian Hamilton Grant, who teaches philosophy at the University of the West of England, is another figure in the accelerationist movement. He said of Nick Land, and I quote, I try not to read his stuff. Folk in the accelerationist movement are embarrassed. They think he's sounding like a thug. Anyone who's an accelerationist who's reflective does think how far is too far. But then again, even asking that question is the opposite of accelerationism. Accelerationism from the interpretation of it being an unrestrained ideology can be viewed as a kind of hyper-Randian philosophy. But in some ways it goes beyond Ayn Rand to reject even basic self-interest of oneself. Accelerationism has a perverse nihilism at the heart of it. They want corporatist despots to govern the world, a world rid of environmental regulation, labor, and even human rights. A cold, vacuous world full of desolate progress without substance. Progress for the sake of progress. Which brings me back to the image of the Blade Runner Society. A dystopic vision of decay, technological advances, without the compassions of humankind to hold any of it back. Monolithic corporations, no government institutions, and humanity on the brink of collapse as machines ultimately take over. A pretty grim future, right? Well, to play devil's advocate with myself, the accelerationists would argue ethically, what is the point of humankind? Why have we decided we are the special chosen ones of this universe? What if the point of humanity, the purpose as dictated by the universe, was to be created only so that we can create machines that are better, more advanced, and serve more godlike purpose than us? What if all of this is part of a grand cosmic plan we simply could not comprehend? This view I'm talking about, progress without political praxis, isn't the movement defined as UAC. What is UAC, you might be asking? Well, that is a certain branch of accelerationism. That's right, there are many branches of accelerationism, all of which I will cover in next week's episode, as well as theories, thinkers, and proposed futures for what an accelerationist future may very well end up looking like. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Make sure to tune in next week when I will be concluding this accelerationist cyberpunk mammoth of a two-parter. I won't be uploading show notes this week, but next week I will. Instead, tomorrow's blog post will be about some things I have learned during quarantine, which is where I am right now. Check it out. Until next time, thanks again. Goodbye.